0: Hey, my name is Phil Corbett from the podcast Van Sounds, and this is a podcast for Travel Nevada. It's the first part of a three-part series. We'll be traveling across the Cowboy Corridor. It's a road trip across Nevada that roughly follows Interstate 80. So buckle in. Let's take a ride. Entering Nevada the way the settlers and pioneers did in the 1800s, you approach it from the east. You glide across the vast white slate of the Bonneville Salt Flats on I-80, and carved into the distant, rocky mountain range is a sparkling little town of West Wendover. It's a border town where the casinos butt right up against the state line, an oasis from the basin below with cold drinks, shade, food, and music. One of the town's brightest beacons is the Peppermill Concert Hall, a full-blown thousand-seat theater that hosts big names. When travel partner Sidney Martinez and I pull up, Three Dog Night is loading into the stage and starting to sound check.
1: Come at night from Salt Lake, you see all these lights. I'm Mike Sidman, the entertainment director for the Peppermill Concert Hall, and uh, we're in West Wendover, Nevada.
0: Mike was a touring musician for years.
2: I
1: was a lounge lizard. <laughs> well, yeah.
0: He has a guitar set up in his office, and he works here with his son, Nick. I'm Nick Sidman, and we're at the Peppermill Concert Hall. Pretty good place to see a concert, you know. Not really a bad seat in the venue. Nick runs us through the setup routine. Loading in gear and checking the mics. Right now all the lights are on, and the place is still empty, apart from a handful of workers and a sound guy behind a mixing board. When when you're like setting up, what what is the most exciting part about that? Yeah, a lot of it what I like about it is you're creating something out of nothing, pretty much. You know, every time you have a show, it's all very temporary. Creating something out of nothing. Turning on a light in the desert. There's a lot of history here, you know, with the old Air Force Base. So, you know, it appears, you know, passing through, that there's really nothing here, but... It's kind of a historical gem. That Air Force base Nick mentioned was a huge station during World War II. And the men stationed here were pretty specifically trying not to turn on lights in the desert. The base was supposed to be kept quiet and hidden. The story goes that the airmen were kind of bored staying out of sight. Sydney and I drive to the edge of town park the car, and start climbing up into the rocky face. Can you say where we are right now?
3: Yeah. Oh, man, we made it all the way up to Jukebox Cave. It's one of those places that also seems to be hidden in plain sight, right?
0: (laughs) Totally, yeah. I you know, driven by this on 80 how many times and never had any idea.
3: Yeah, I've always been really interested in driving 80, entering the Nevada state line, seeing all those caves up on the hillsides. And I'm glad we finally took the time to stop and check it out.
0: And so what is this cave?
3: So it seems that when uh, Wendover had a lot of military action, this was used as sort of a recreational area for the men that were based at the West Wendover Airfield. And uh, we've done a lot of reading online. It seems like um, during national blackouts, they would come up here and uh, they had built a dance floor inside this cave.
0: The airmen poured a full-blown concrete dance floor. Then they carried up a jukebox and hauled it into the mountain.
3: And would sort of have parties. You know, West Wendover was top secret And so they couldn't really be exposed. And then when there were national blackouts, this was the perfect place to come party.
0: And that's what they do, come up and dance all night in Jukebox Cave. The mouth of the cave is blockaded now, but you can still climb up and poke your head in. We walk back to the car and pull onto I-80, heading west towards Wells. The interstate climbs and dips into vast valleys ringed by mountain ranges on all sides. And Wells comes up fast. We head south off the freeway onto a narrow, winding road. Yeah, that's snow. When people think of Nevada, they usually think of the desert. Which isn't wrong. Nevada is a huge state with a lot of diversity in landscape and climate. But just outside of Wells, we take a side road and climb high into the Ruby Mountains. A magnificent range. And in June, there are still eight-foot walls of snow on the side of the road. We park at the edge of Angel Lake, a small alpine lake which is still frozen over under about a foot of snow, and tucked into a huge, rocky bowl. The sky is bright blue, and thunderclouds are forming on the horizon. When the snow melts and the rain falls, a lot of it makes a pit stop here, before heading down the mountain and into Clover Valley. And if you follow the water from Angel Lake straight down, you'll end up in this guy's backyard.
1: My name's Steve Safford, and you're on Angel Creek Ranch in Clover Valley. We're the first ranch on the north end of Clover Valley at the base of the East Humboldt range, of the Rubies, and uh, one of the more beautiful, we like to think that the crown jewels of Nevada, the Rubies and the East Humbolts, and and this area, it's a beautiful part of Nevada, and it's very unspoiled and unchanged as to uh you know, we've been here 40 years, which to us is a long time, but uh, it's very unchanged in the time we've been here. And I think that's something that, you know, makes it really a worthwhile place to visit and see.
0: On Steve's ranch, they raise cattle, grow hay.
1: So we, it's basically uh, 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 bales and beef on the ranch, and then we, we jokingly say, say bales, beef, and beer. We thought that beer would be a good way to... Uh, diversify the ranch and do something we enjoy doing.
0: In addition to running a working ranch, Steve runs Ruby Mountain Brewing
1: Company. Ruby Mountain Brewing Company. It's always been Angel Lake, and we thought our flagship beer, which has always been the Angel Creek Amber Ale, should be you know, named after the after the uh, area that we're in, and the ranch that the brewery's on.
3: What are some of the names of the other beers that you have here?
1: Well. Typical Nevada names, we have a bristlecone brown porter, and then we have a buckaroo brew that uh, is a pale ale that we uh, proudly say on the label ranch brewed beer, and it's kind of funny because the, the TTB, the, the Tobacco uh, Trade Bureau that controls all that, all those laws, if you say ranch brewed beer on the label, by God, it has to be brewed on a ranch, and they check to make sure that it really is brewed on a ranch. But yeah, that was a beer that we did originally. It's a badge of honor. For the, yeah, for the uh, uh, Cowboy Poetry Gathering in Elko, which is the, the biggest, longest running Cowboy Poetry Gathering in the country. And we started doing the Buckaroo Brew once a year for them, and then decided after quite a few years that we would package it and, and market it under that name.
0: Ruby Mountain Brewing Company was a part of the early wave of craft breweries in the Western U.S. In the first in this corner of Nevada.
1: I started brewing beer when I was 19. I moved back to the US from Europe and had been enjoying beer for a few years in, in England and on the continent. And in the US, it wasn't legal to buy beer at 19. So I ended up starting to home brew and uh, close to 20 years after that, I started a commercial brewery and we make, Very good beer. We're not great at selling it, but we do a good job brewing it, and uh, it's been fun. We've had a good time doing it. We've been in business since uh, brewed our first batch in April of '95.
0: It is really excellent beer. I highly recommend it if you see it while driving across the Cowboy Corridor.
1: It's kind of ironically one of the reasons we started the brewery was to diversify and to do something that wasn't as dependent on the weather, because like I was saying earlier, you get drought cycles, it makes it hard to grow hay. You get rain during the summer, it's hard to grow quality hay. There's lots of things that happen. We thought, let's do something that the weather doesn't have so much impact on. Well, lo and behold, the weather has a lot of impact on brewing beer because you're using using barley, malted barley, you're using hops, and you're selling beer to people who want to drink it on a nice, warm, sunny day. So if springs are rainy and wet, and summers are cold, you don't sell as much beer. If yields are bad on barley, malt gets more expensive. If hop has, hops have disease and, and problems, it's the same thing. The, uh, the brewing business has, has, is fairly vulnerable to agricultural and, and climactic problems.
0: We interviewed Steve over fresh beer. In the brewery, a sort of workshop at the base of the mountains.
1: Yeah, we have, we probably when we open the roll-up door that we move pallets in and out of the brewery. When we open the roll-up door, it probably has the best view of any any brewery in the in the country, arguably probably in the world. You know, where the brewery sits at six thousand feet, and it's uh, you know next to a nice acre of apples and uh, on a beautiful ranch, but in the backyard is an 11,000 plus foot mountain with beautiful peaks and and watershed and snow 12 months of the year. It's a pretty spectacular view out the back door. As nice as it is, we should have had it open the whole time. Grand
3: reveal. Yeah. It just doesn't get much better than that, does it?
1: Yeah, it's pretty nice.
0: Steve points up into the mountains towards a couple of towering rock pillars, cutting through the snow.
1: My watershed is just to the right of the chimney rocks. You can see the chimney rocks there, and then that. you can see the speckled the trees in that basin there. And there's a, a glacial lake up in there that, even in the summer, never thaws, and, and it's got this blue, bright blue uh, color to it because you're looking down, and it's still ice at the bottom of the lake.
0: This is not something to miss.
1: Elko County, it's easy to just pass right through Elko County on your way to Yellowstone or on your way to Salt Lake City or your way to Colorado, but the, the Ruby Mountains and the Ruby Marshes and the recreation available in, in Elko County is, it's world-class. And it's uh, very undiscovered. So take the time and, and uh, stop by and have a beer.
0: As we step out of the brewery, Steve's neighbors are driving cattle down the road. Real-life ranch-brewed beer. Angel Creek flows down into the valley and eventually makes its way to the Humboldt River. We follow that river from wells downstream and east to Elko. After a full day of driving, checking out lakes, caves, breweries, it's time to eat. Downtown Elko has a lot of good options, and being in cowboy country, red meat seems the appropriate choice. We stop at Machi's for their specialty prime rib. It's an eclectic restaurant with great food, and it seems like every person in the bar knows each other. Bridger Hake. I live in Elko, Nevada. I'm at Machi's Saloon and Grill.
4: Uh, Kind of a local hangout, kind of old old school atmosphere. Good service, good food, good atmosphere. People are friendly. You get a little inside of the area. Um, people, you know, if you come here, you know any. You, you just
0: good conversation mainly.
4: Uh, my name is John Lemich. Um, we're at Machi Saloon and Grill, 450 Commercial Street. Machi is probably one of those only places around that you walk in and you're going to know somebody no matter what. Um, Elko's that way anyway, for the most part, but
0: Manchi's is an old place. We've been around for uh, going on 40 years. An old railroad town, Elko is the biggest city in this part of the state. So it's a regional hub. There's somewhere in the neighborhood of 20,000 locals and a constant rotation of workers from the mines and the ranching industry, plus a constant stream of travelers driving across the west.
4: We're really lucky in Elko because in the old days, um, people traveled from San Francisco or Denver or things like that, and you know when they got done driving for six or seven or eight hours or whatever, they were done. They were beat and tired, and and with I-80 going through here now with the freeway, it makes it kind of neat because San Francisco to Elko is about seven, seven and a half hours, so it's a perfect spot to stop.
0: And if you're not sold on stopping, I will say this. It was possibly the best prime rib I've ever had.
4: People look at Elko and they think it's a, it's a railroad town or a cow town or there's a podunk little town in the middle of, uh, of nowhere, you know, on I-80. And Elko's pretty it's pretty amazing. We have people in the mining industry that, you know, work, have worked all over the world. Um, they've been in Chile, they've been in Indonesia, they've, wor- they've worked in South Africa, they've worked all these different places. And I think they want to come and have good food. They love seeing a wine list that actually has some wines on it um, from all over the world. And, and there's a few wine lists in town. There's a little wine bar down the street that does a great job with that. But I think Machi's has one of the best, most diverse wine lists on the, on, in town. And uh, but you know, Elko a pretty sophisticated place, a lot more that so more so than people think. You know, we still have our ranchers and and uh, you know just regular working folk that come in and 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 but they get to experience it too because because we bring it in for the the people
0: that kind of demand it. One variation of rancher in this part of the world is the Basque sheepherder. The Basque country is between France and Spain, and in the early 1900s, a lot of Basque people migrated to the American West. Their history is deeply woven into Nevada's history, and probably the best way to interact with that rich heritage is to eat at a Basque hotel. There are a handful of Basque hotels still thriving across Nevada, and one of them is The Star in downtown Elko. We meet up with Angie Watson at a dining table in the back room
2: the star hotel is a basque restaurant here in elko nevada um, it was built in 1910 and it used to be a boarding house for all the sheep herders so here it's family style everything's served uh, one big bowl of soup and you get a share it among everybody um, we have great steaks and lamb and it's just a great atmosphere the family atmosphere is where you all sit on the same tables together and have great conversations. so it's not a quiet place it's a great place to be
0: It's hard to explain a good Basque-American meal, but the food is excellent, and there's a lot of it.
2: Um, Our bakery is upstairs, so all of our breads, everything are made right here in-house. All of our steaks are cut same day. um, Everything's fresh, and uh, it's just more of the atmosphere. Everyone that walks in our doors is our family.
0: For decades, Basque hotels have been hubs of activity, where sheepherders and townspeople meet up and talk about Well, everything. The star keeps that tradition alive.
2: But driving by, the neon lights will catch your eye, and we definitely encourage you to stop in. It's a great place.
0: The neon lights will catch your eye. Driving through Nevada at night, the darkness is expansive. And every once in a while, you crest a ridge where the lights on the ground start to shimmer in the distance like a reflection of the stars above. All you have to do is drive towards them, and chances are they're lighting up something good. This podcast was produced by me, Phil Corbett, for Travel Nevada. This episode was all about the Cowboy Corridor, which stretches across Nevada, roughly following I-80. To learn more details about this trip and other Nevada road trips, check out TravelNevada.com. The intro music in this episode is a song called Space Camp by Reno artist Buffalo Moses, and the outro is by People With Bodies. You can find me and my other work at vansounds.org or search Vansounds wherever you're listening now. Thanks for tuning in and see you in part two.